Hello and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. I'm an empathy educator, TEDx speaker, founder of the social enterprise Empathy First, and all-round healthy empathy enthusiast. Today, we're talking about empathy and the transgender experience with Hannah Ford Morgan. Hannah is founder and lead producer of Guildmaster Games and openly shares about her gender and transition on social media to help, support, and encourage others who need it. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm so grateful that you are here. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, as you said, I've been developing games professionally for about six years. And in that time, I've made about 22 of them, mostly through crowdfunding. I've also worked at QUT, which is where we met a little while ago. And made, I did a master's and produced a few games for them in terms of educating about data science and STEM. And it's been an interesting kind of ride, I guess, transitioning while in all of these different contexts. So like academic and professional and in like the nerd world. And I have two children. One just started primary school. Okay. So it's been interesting in terms of all the reactions and receptions in these different areas, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back to basics. So when I met you, it was 2018 and we met at QUT, but I met Jack. So can you please give us a bit of an understanding? What does it actually mean to be transgender? And are we using the right language? Am I using the right language? So can you give us a bit of an insight into what that even means? Yeah, so... I'm still learning a lot of the nuances and stuff myself, but for me, being transgender and and a trans woman, which is sort of how I describe myself or my gender, it's just that there's always been a mismatch between my outside and my inside, and it took 30 years to sort of hunt down all the different kind of reasons why that was and what was going on for me. So I also have anxiety, depression, and ADHD. And looking at those things, I guess, were the more kind of obvious conclusions to come to, I suppose. But I have always had this feeling, this very strong feeling that um, I wasn't happy with my body and I connected much more with feminist aspects of the world and A lot of people thought I was gay and things like that. So especially, yeah, like late 90s, early 2000s, that was sort of when I was in high school. That's what I think people, you know, the awareness wasn't quite as large as it is now. But I've always had a stash of kind of more feminine clothes and dresses and things. And I was lucky enough to have two very supportive partners who sort of started to realize these things and sort of asked me questions. And through that, I just started exploring a bit more deeply and realized so many things just like unlocked and the sense of like wrongness and like unhappiness with myself in terms of my physicality and a lot of different elements of the kind of roles I was playing in society. And sorry, it's a bit of a ramble because it's all, all right. a bit complex. But who thought this was supposed to be easy? I mean, really? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> And overlapping mental health kind of things going on is interesting. But, yeah, I think to boil it down, I uh, realized a couple of years ago with help from mental health professionals and partners is that 
I was feeling dysphoria and I had been masking for a long time in these like kind of stereotypical masculine ways. And as I started to experiment more and sort of dress differently and it's like just this layer just peeled off of like falsehood and that was really painful and there were a lot of different impacts in my social life because I think a lot of people weren't quite sure how to interact with me but so many other areas made more sense and I've been happier than ever since. So yeah, by the sound of it, I mean there are a few common misperceptions and we'll talk about these in a second but I think one of the common misperceptions is that people just wake up one day and go, I want to be a woman. Mm. Like, it's not that, is it? It's genuinely a journey and a process and an unravelling by the sound of it. Yeah, I think there are people that when they're very young have very intense dysphoria and they know exactly what's going on. Like, even when there are people who are sort of kids like three years old and things like that who are just very certain. It's part of the complexity as well is like how early can you like know and, and when is it like this little people like growing up and, and just thinking about these different ideas and embodying different things and, yeah. and role playing and when is it genuine sort of dysphoria and that yeah. difference. And I think it's important to sort of make a comment as well. Mm. You're not speaking for all people who are experiencing transgender. Is it experiencing transgender? Is it a, like how do we use the word transgender? What's the correct way to use I think the word? The way that I've done it is that um, I'm a transgender person okay. and through experiencing dysphoria, which is that deep discomfort with like my gender and the gender roles is where that, where that comes in for okay. me. But there are people who are transgender or non-binary or who don't necessarily experience dysphoria all the time or intensely in different ways. But, yeah, mine sort of, I think, was suppressed for a long time. Yeah. But then, yeah, like the idea of kind of trying to be really masculine and stuff again and having a beard and all that kind of stuff is just like feels really, really uncomfortable. So, yeah, um, right. yeah mine sort of got worse after the realisation or, or more like was less suppressed and so okay. it felt stronger. But, yeah, right. Yeah. So, But it is different for everyone. So. Yeah, and I think that's important to sort of note is that, yes, we can talk sort of in general terms, but if we've met mm. one person who's transgender, you've met one person who is transgender because yeah, it yeah. is so varied and so nuanced and so personal. So mm. what do you think some of the common misperceptions are out there about people who are transgender? I think that... Like one of the terms that I've heard a bunch more in the last six months is autogynophilia is one thing. So it's this idea that there are people who are transgender or present, but the reason they're doing that is because they're aroused by the thought of, of themselves uh, having like female genitalia and things like yeah, that. And gotcha. that that's the base of it, not kind of dysphoria or being a different gender mentally and things like that. So I think there's this idea that it's sort of, a sexual thing, I think, gotcha. is more of a... They're doing it for over, kicks. Yeah, I think that's... The process is so difficult that it's like... I don't think if it was, like, for everyone, that, it, you know, if it was just a kink, that that would be... This would be a road you'd want to go down. But, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, people can get <laughs> very deep into kinks. But, yeah, that's sort of one conception that I've been learning about. I think I've personally been quite lucky 
in the context that I'm in, such as like the university and the, um, I have a lot of queer friends and in the game design community, or just the games community, I guess, where it's all very like accepted, Okay. at least for me. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't encountered, I guess, a lot of the prejudices and misconceptions quite as much. Yeah. Or I've been sort of like ready for uh, okay. those things to filter them out. So Because there was sort of a longer transition period for you perhaps or I what do you think so. made you I more think ready? I, I was just so lucky to just have a lot of support, I okay. think, during it. And, yeah, my psychologist and psychiatrist were all like, well, they, they weren't like, sounds good. <laughs> they were like, okay, yeah. I think a while ago and potentially currently there was a lot of resistance to the idea in mental health practice, which okay. has changed quite a lot. Okay as well, so over the last few decades. Okay. I, so can you, if you feel comfortable, describe, mm. you said it's a process. Like what is the process? Is it buying new clothes? Is it putting on nails? Mm. Is it bigger than that? Is it like what is, I mean, obviously we talked, we had to learn how to do makeup. Yeah. But what mm. is the process look like? So for me, I think as I'm a game designer, I think about things in this way, but I broke it into five stages. <laughs> At least for myself, yeah. um, as like a late stage transitioner, I guess. Okay. Because you're 30 Midlife transitioner, 32 or okay. 3 or something. <laughs> That's I also lost fluid. <laughs> I lost track of my second child was born and I'm just okay. like, what day is it? Where are we? What's going on? Yeah, First was sort of like hints and other kind of reasons that might be going on. So just sort of always wanted to wear female clothes. Like I get along and function a lot easier in like women's culture and things like that but having a bit of a barrier there because I was male and, and like presenting that way and leaning into it quite a lot because you know yeah. I was like oh, people keep describing my more feminine traits as if they're a negative thing so all linked to my sexuality somehow so that was like the first step and then so being like lost in the woods I guess and then there's minor reversible changes I think for me so that was things like painting my nails and using makeup, like stuff that can be done but then taken off very quickly. God. And so for a while I thought that I was gender fluid and so being able to easily move between the two was like a good way to experiment with it. Yeah. And then there started to be a stage of more permanent changes, so things that wouldn't last forever but could be easily undone. So that was things like changing my hair colour and getting fake nails and... um sort of going out more in public, experimenting with a new name. And so that was sort of things where it takes a bit more effort to dial it back if I wasn't, yeah. you know, if I was just realised, I was like, oh, like, maybe it's something else. But I was pretty certain by that point. And now I'm onto the stage, I guess, of more permanent changes. Okay. And, and at the end of semi-permanent I was when I really made the decision or not made the decision, came to the realisation, yeah. I guess. Like, that's one of the tricky terminology things and misconceptions is that it's, like, a choice. Yeah, gotcha. Whereas I feel like the choice I made was to just accept my true self yeah. in a way. It wasn't to feel dysphoric and to feel like um, my insides and my outsides aren't yeah. lining up. But yeah. now I'm into a stage of more permanent changes. So okay. that's things like I've legally changed my name. Um, oh, wow. So that's like reversible, but yeah. Um, and I'm on HRT, okay. so hormone replacement therapy. So that's going to have permanent changes on my body. I have fully transitioned socially, and I 
mostly thinking about things like feminization surgery, a bit of changes to the face and like implants and just other bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been on HRT for about seven months okay. now, and maximum effect is at 18 months. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm kind of like, cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, excited to see what my body looks like and then make some more kind of choices after that. Yeah. So, so for a, a male on HRT, mm. is it physical, mental, and emotional, or is it mainly physical changes that HRT, like what have you noticed? For me, it's been both, like very intensely. Yeah, like my sense of taste is changing. My, <laughs> I think one of the things that I was told to expect was like an increase in emotionality. So like the range and depth, or sorry, like intensity and yeah. um, the number of emotions I would have in a day. Yep. I think that's been true for me. How's that, um, how's that working been, out for you? It's been really nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like I can just feel a lot more. Some of that may have been, like, psychological because I was, like, containing this defining aspect of yeah, myself subconsciously gotcha. and, and societally for so long. But that's been one thing that's interesting. My skin is a lot softer, like. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know, it's tricky because, like, how much of it is, like, nature and nurture? Yeah. And as my self is changing, that's sort of changing the environment that I'm in because I'm engaging in different environments in different ways and then those environments are shaping and reinforcing yeah. how I'm growing up. Yeah. And in terms of societally, I think it's an interesting spot where the kind of pressures and prejudices and challenges that women experience growing up, I'm encountering now as a, I've always sort of like a fully formed identity. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that I can carry across. Like I'm established in my industry, so I'm not trying to fight my way through. I'm already, I've run a company, I've got connections, I've got all these kind of things. So whether or not that would have been more or less difficult. Yeah. Were I born with the female sex? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to kind of fully comprehend, I think. Yeah, like, yeah. The, you never had to break in as a woman. Yeah. I never, so it's been interesting and a bit mind-bending sometimes to, there's a lot of challenges that come with being trans, but I think there's a lot of things that, especially now, especially in the context that I'm in, where it's like celebrated and welcomed and a lot of the barriers have been, if not removed, the path is like trodden. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So So what are some of your other experiences then of I guess, traversing the world as a woman. Have you noticed differences and sort of is it that people notice that you're trans and that they treat you differently or that you're a woman or like what sort of things have you noticed that are different to traversing the world as Hannah to traversing the world as Jack? It's interesting. I think one of the, I guess there's like professionally and then personally. So like professionally I'm finding I don't know if it's just a coincidence or because my, the way I'm running this business is different to the previous one or things like that. But I think I'm finding that a lot more of the opportunities and like business-wise, like the revenue sources and things are more based on like in close interpersonal connections with clients okay. who I'm working with to make things. That could just be because my expertise has moved in that direction. And it's less about sort of trying to very assertively get my games into stores by 
okay. doing a lot of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of shifted. Okay. Less about like hunting down those opportunities and more about like gathering yeah. <laughs> connections. I don't know. That could just be like a difference in me though. And that's, again, it's the environment and the self interacting. And that's definitely in a direction I wanted to move in when the business was changing as well. And then personally, I have felt so much more confident in terms of my dating life as a prime example compared to like, but it also works in friendships and just interacting with people. I know that I am not going to be everyone's cup of tea and the kind of pool of people that would be attracted to me or, you know, that find everything about me attractive or nice to interact with, I think has shrunk to this point where, I don't know how to put it, the people that do like me really like me. So Yeah, got, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's been very interesting and yeah. I think that's what I've been finding as well is Can which I, is like overall an improvement for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. You said before that sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s, people thought you were gay. You were married yeah. to a woman. You've got two uh, I children. In, I was in back-to-back relationships since I was like 15. So With yeah. women? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh-huh. And so that hasn't, that <laughs> hasn't changed. So you still date women. So when you talk about the pool of dating, is it predominantly or only women or? Yeah. So I think like I've described my sexuality. I haven't been comfortable with the term lesbian necessarily just yet. Okay. Um, but sapphic like I'm very attracted to women and feminine qualities okay but I think interestingly like my tastes are changing (laughs) in Uh, terms of okay the range of things that I find intriguing okay is definitely like expanding and that's one thing that can change apparently and I did not expect that for myself but yeah yeah so the idea of dating for example like another trans woman or or a man is like becoming more of a Possibility, I guess. Okay. Yeah, so, right. Like, that would potentially expand that little pool of people who yeah, sort of, that's right. Who dig you? Yeah, and it's um, I don't think it's expanding because th- that kind of pool is smaller. It's just I don't know. I'm just like caring less. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I think I, I used to subconsciously when I was presenting male. I think I was very, very tied to how that persona was received. Because okay. I felt like I was just not interacting with the world properly. So I thought I had to be as appealing to as many people as possible and use that as my metric yep. of whether I was yeah. complete as a person. I or think not. a lot of people do that. Yeah. So now it's, I guess, a point where, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, I mean, it's less it, of a concern, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because. I mean, we do it in business as well. Learning who's not for you is just as powerful or learning who are not your people is just as powerful as yeah, learning who are was, your I people. I was trying to be for, like, everyone. Everything but, for everyone. Yeah. Interesting. And it's interesting sort of how you talked about who you're attracted to is mm. changing as well. I recall that there's some research on who women find attractive when they're on the pill or off the pill. Yes. And it's yeah. different. So. Mm-hmm. The impact of hormones on who we find attractive is hugely powerful. So for yeah. you to sort of identify that that's changing mm. makes perfect sense because you are on this cocktail yeah. potentially. I think it might have been like that might have always been there, bisexuality, I guess, <laughs> which I'm sort of just 
comprehending now. Like, I'm, is that me or not? But I think I've also been quite more willing to try a lot of different things, like okay. not just in relationships, but in terms of a lot of things, because now that I, I feel so different and I've taken off this mask and, you know, I've got these new hormones and reactions that I thought I knew I would have might be different now because I'm learning a lot more about my true self. Yeah, gotcha. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the reaction? So what has been the reaction? You talk professionally and personally. So when this happened, did a bunch of people go, oh, of course that makes sense. Like what has been the reaction? (laughs) Yeah. It's been really, really, really nice, really lovely. And I feel very lucky to be able to say that. But my close friends are really accepting. I accidentally outed myself to my entire professional network. (laughs) <laughs> at the uni and, and all the retailers and stuff. But I thought for myself, I changed my, like, Google account, like, information to say Hannah and stuff. Yeah. But the email was still the same. It was still Jack Morgan. I didn't realize that every time I sent an email for, like, two months, it was saying, like, Hannah Ford Morgan, two people. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't see that. And so uh... when I – it was really interesting. Like, when I started to come out, I guess – Almost everyone professionally, which is what I was really worried about, was like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, your name's been this on there for so long. <laughs> I was yeah, like, oh, right. Shit. And, yeah, more of my friends were, like, a bit more, like, surprised, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, because I was sort of trying with makeup and different clothes and things for a little while, it was um, not a massive surprise to lots of people yeah. necessarily. So, yeah, right. Yeah. So when you said you were worried about sort of how people would react, so what are the sort of things that you were worried about? What did you think? Oh, like the fear was that, I mean, I would be like shadow fired from my job and stuff and like all my clients wouldn't want to work with me and my friends would reject me and think I'm weird and my partners would find out that they're not into me and just a fear in all spheres of my life about just being rejected fundamentally for my true self yeah. because it was changing, I guess, from the subconsciously cultivated personality that I had yeah. and all these features about myself. Uh, some friendships definitely got more distant okay. to the point of sort of dissolving and some of my relationships was sort of a large part of the reason that it didn't end up continuing with other things. But where I am now, I think, Everything feels a lot more like genuine yeah. and sort of authentic reactions to me, I suppose, that I don't need to try and change myself to fix because I'm like, well. This is me. Yeah, this is me. And, and so yeah. did the support that you had, you said you had professionals working with you, did the support that they provided help you sort of get brave in overcoming whatever worries they were or that you had or yeah. like how did that network, I guess, support you to get into stage three, let's say. Mm. I think, like, one of the things that psychology and therapy for me in general is it's often, like, a bit of, like, a check-in on what's been happening and where I'm at and what I'm thinking. And so I end up in my head a little bit, like, summarizing, like, have I made any conclusions about myself? Do I need more evidence in certain areas to work on these things? Is it me? Is it someone else? Usually it's me. Um, (laughs) And so... It's tricky because there are a lot of things happening at the same time. So in the last three years, I started on different types of ADHD medication and started going through this process and the business was falling apart and my marriage wasn't working anymore and I had two young kids and I'm an alcoholic, which sort of developed very strongly in this like three-month period that was just very intense when I think 
and the business was closed. So, like, just so many things were just colliding and happening in this, like, furnace crucible point. I guess in all these different domains, they were able to, and I guess that's why I talk about it like professionally and you know, interpersonally and relationships. Yeah. They were able to help me work out what were changes I was wanting to try, what things did I need to talk about more, what things were I, was I actually quite certain about and just needed a bit of a support and confidence okay. boost. Gotcha. The way it all therapy, I guess, works is it's not about them telling me things about myself necessarily. It's helping me understand things about myself. So Yeah, absolutely. The therapist that I had was awesome. I was seeing her for a few years about being polyamorous. And then when it was sort of more trans <laughs> kind of things. Yeah. By that stage, I think she just heard so much that she was just like, sure. Yeah. yeah Hi, yeah. Hannah. Lovely you do to you. meet you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That, that seems to be, this is about me, but that was my reaction was, mm. you do you. The fact that you watch somebody who is so leaning into their authentic self, hmm. whether it's being brave in one area or transitioning or whatever it is. I hmm. love that. My favourite thing is talking to people whose face lights up about whatever it is. Hmm. And that is one of the things that I've noticed about you is your face lights up a bit more when you talk. Hmm. Um, to me it's a bit sad in a way that it takes bravery to do this. Like I wish mm. that, you know, like taking bravery to come out or taking bravery to, I don't know, for somebody to be in a bikini or yeah. it shouldn't take bravery. It should be celebrated yeah. that you are being you and you are figuring it out. And I kind of wish that more people took that time to figure out who they are with yeah. therapists. Or yeah. I think it's, you know, it's an environment thing and means and like I'm very middle class. Being able to attend therapy is oh, a pretty absolutely. significant thing. And, um, yeah, having supportive partners and things like that definitely helps. I think because I've been so focused on what's next and what's going on, like in terms of being brave or not, there was a point where I was suicidal and a big part of it was because I just felt so just sad and just wrong and mismatched and, like, looking at the kind of physical changes and the potential societal reactions and things like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. It hasn't always been, like, growth and happiness and, and things like that. There was, um, there's, for about a year, at least once a week, I would, like, cry for three hours or something. And um, the hormones have been a challenge in the sense that they, the reactions and to things that are different now. Yeah. I'm taking two things, like one is estrogen and one is a testosterone blocker. So okay. that's constantly flushing it out of my system. So okay. but those levels will like my body doesn't yeah. stop producing it. It's um it's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, subsidized, thankfully, which is really good. Yeah. Through the um I can't remember what it's called. PBS. The, the PBS, yeah. It's definitely been a roller coaster. Yeah. But I'm like happier overall. I think I got to a point where the pain of not engaging with the transition and just trying it was getting so overwhelming yeah. that I felt like I didn't have any other option. Yeah. Or I wanted to start doing it before everything got even more out of control yeah. in my life, I suppose. Yeah. So I was trying to fix so many things, and this was one thing that which is very clear I needed to start doing. So yeah. I don't know if it's so much bravery as it was. I was like running out of things to 
try. Yeah. And I've sort of had to be brave. Yeah. In some ways, but I but don't that, know if that's bravery or just, you know. Oh, look, I think so. I mean, it sort of relates <laughs> back to how you said that this isn't a choice. This is something that you're leaning into. This is something that you're compelled to do. This is something that you're, that feels. Yeah, yeah. and it didn't feel like that instantly, though, was the other thing. Is, yeah. Um, it took me a while to get to that level of certainty was both a mental consciously working on it and discussing it and seeing and a recognizing what my body and my mind was telling me yeah. and figuring out what that message was. So and that's where the compulsion and and was like finding the the answer, I suppose, like finally after all of these other things yeah. that also needed to be addressed. Can I ask about your little people? Because hmm. you've got two boys? No. Yeah, two boys? Yeah, Roman who's five and Lincoln who's four. How's that? So it's very close together. Yeah, good, yeah. What's their reaction been? I think that it's hard to tell if the kind of behaviours and challenges and things that I'm noticing they're going through, to which degree for either of them, it's based on transitioning versus the divorce and living different places and changing daycares and starting primary school and things like that. Yeah, so I think it might sound weird, but me transitioning is like the least of the (laughs) things that's going on in their lives. And with Lincoln, he's four, so since about the age of two. But I don't think he's known any different. Um, It was a bit of a challenge for him to, in terms of the terminology, because my ex-partner, their mum and I agreed to use dad still for a while, but then that's just started to feel increasingly bad. And so we've been experimenting with other names like, like Mimi and things like that, and the boys are just starting... That's also, you know, with her level of comfort as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's been an ongoing, evolving kind of conversation about her own feelings about the boys having two moms. And like what does that mean, you know? Because it was a very different experience with like pregnancy and societal expectations and things like that versus versus me. But the boys are – they've both been really, really empathetic about it. Like when I'm having hard days, I guess – yeah. Which are also related to all of those changes. I don't think that my transitioning is necessarily having a negative impact okay. on them. And I think that certain things about me being more authentic and more myself are have been really beneficial for them. Yeah. Because they're getting a more like genuine parent. And but part of that is their mom and I separated and yeah. Yeah. so yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and and that's a journey that's going to continue. I remember last year one of the TED Talks, a lady named Michelle, her partner, I'm going to say was transgender, but Mm. I can't recall. But she was Moddy. She wasn't mum, she wasn't dad. She was Moddy. Yeah, they came to, they found this word that worked for them. and Yeah, it's challenging because the boys, in terms of their language, they're just calling me mum. Ah. I want to go to other mum's place and stuff. And so it's been kind of tricky trying to pace things. Yeah, okay. In a way that's comfortable for their mum, but also like my own comfort yeah. and, and what the boys are most what comfortable with. What do you want them with. to call you? Do you see yourself as mum? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's the first time I've said that to anyone in any context. So, but especially over the last couple of months, it's something that's become more defined and concrete within myself. Is that yeah. that's the term that feels like the most accurate, yeah, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. 
And do you have lots of these sort of realisations as your journey continues, like as things change? Like do you sort of have to take time to reflect and practice self-empathy and self-understanding and really look inwards? Or is that something that you sort of leave for your psychologist sessions? Like, do you uh, practice this? I think I'm very external in terms of how I process things. Okay. Like, I think I've got, like, anxious attachments. So okay. Like, when I'm thinking on something, I just have to process it by talking to people or friends or partners or therapists or I mean, even here, you know, yeah. like it's sort of clarifying things for me a little yeah, bit amazing. that I didn't realize I'd sort of moved on to. But it's a lot to go through, I guess, in terms of it's like my brain only has so much capacity Yet. and it's always working on these things in the background. But it's like until it's relevant or I'm asked a certain thing, I might not necessarily realize. Yeah. So that's been very interesting as well. What do you think your work in gaming has helped you in terms of empathy? Do you think that's... Yeah helped you think about things differently as well? Because you're board games, you're not video games. games, you're board games and card yeah, games. And I tried video games, but I was like, oh, I can't do coding. I can't just sit at a computer and do this all day. Yeah, right. That is what I do nowadays, <laughs> like, but it's board games. So Because Carked It, I talked about a couple of episodes ago. You were involved in that. So cool. I love Carked It. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, what do you think... Being in that space, creating games mm. and creating worlds and looking at characters, what do you think that's helped you with in terms of empathy and self-understanding? That's a good question. I think, like, being able to think about it all quite systematically has well, you been had Well, you had your five handy. stages. Yeah, and starting to notice, like, patterns, at least in my own experience, and different, I don't know, I don't know if this could be a factor, but, like, I make a lot of games where the identities of the player characters that you're playing are, like, deconstructed into these different parts that can be assembled. So uh -huh. one of which is, you know, you can be different roles or whatever. You can be different from different places. You can do different things, have different skills and, and stuff like that. So potentially, I've yeah, just been subconsciously throughout my life. Yeah. yeah like, and curious about people by the sound of it then and curious mm -hmm. about characters and... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, I find it very difficult to make a board game where you would play, like, a defined character that's, like, there. Like, I really struggle to do that. Yeah. But if I can give players either, like, randomized or through their choice or a mixture the ability to assemble a character and then be able to play that out, oh. I think it's much more interesting to me but then I make games like Trust Me I'm a Doctor or, or Truth Seekers where you're very defined like you're you're a doctor in the 1800s and yeah. <laughs> you're like drunk as hell doing medicine or you're like a conspiracy theorist who's trying to get into the Illuminati so yeah but those tend to be quite like genderless things yeah I think so that could be something that's going on well carked it was genderless it was just skeletons they were amazing yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want us to know. So for us muggles who have no mm. concept of this, some of the words that I'm hearing. So firstly, trying to wrap our head around it because not that we necessarily need to, you know what I mean? Like we don't need to understand it. We don't need to have experienced anything like it in order to empathize. The fact mm. that you do you, more power to you, like that's amazing. I'm, yeah. Yeah. The language that we use, I a couple of times have said he and caught mm. myself and gone, shit, she. Mm. How do we approach that? Because I don't want to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like 
there are people who would not want to get it wrong and so they wouldn't say anything. Hmm. So if somebody accidentally says Jack or says he or something, like what is the implication of that for you? Hmm. Like on my best days, I'll say something like, oh, like my, my name is Hannah, can you please use that? Yep. And people are usually totally fine or people will like apologise and then change it. I think like that, that feels like most comfortable for me. Yep. Is either if I can just say like one thing and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Or if they realise and say, oh, sorry, you know, she. Um, you don't need to feel really guilty and bad and, like, justify or, like, reassure me that, you know, you're accepting of trans people yeah. and, and make it, like, a conversation. It can just yeah. be a moment. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to think really badly <laughs> of anyone, I guess, unless it's sort of, like, consistent and deliberate. Yeah, you know okay. I mean? Okay. So As accidental a, with an apology, you know, whoop, and we just move yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely, like, yeah. And I think, you know, if you're not sure, you can ask. And if people generally let you know if they've had enough experiences where their presentation creates kind of not being sure. Okay, okay. Which to use. I think I just like people to know at least, I mean, this it's challenging because it's just me. Like, yeah. if you get it wrong, as long as you're well-intentioned and say, like, um, don't need to feel really guilty about as long as you're trying. Yeah. And what's dead naming? Because I've heard that a few times with respect to this topic. What is that? Yeah. So a dead name is the name that you had in your previous gender. Yeah. Or just a previous name, I suppose. So Jack is my dead name. And I think like dead naming, I mean, it's two types. One is just like accidentally oh, saying Jack okay. or something. But like dead naming, I feel like is where it's deliberately done to harm or, or yeah, throw something it's got intention or, behind it. I guess so, yeah. Okay. Like, I, I'm not super up with terminology and things like that. Okay. So I'm just at the point where I'm just, like, <laughs> figuring out what's going on with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, yeah, you can accidentally dead but we use the same word for it, I suppose. But if you've dead named someone and it was an accident, I think it's a different vibe, I guess, too. Yeah, okay. And maybe over the internet and stuff, it can be harder to know which it was or yeah, things okay. like that. Yeah, Yeah, but gotcha. There's definitely a lot of deliberate dead naming that goes on yeah. into, and certain types of media and certain... Yeah, like that's not microaggressions, is it? That's like macroaggressions because that's got intention behind it. Is that right? Yeah, I think there's... If we're talking about sort of commentators and personalities that sort of notoriously, deliberately use people's dead names and, and refer to them as gender they don't want to be or that they aren't, I guess. That's uh, it's challenging because I think, again, there's two camps. There's people that are doing it, well, three camps. There's people who genuinely believe that that's the right way to refer to yep. people because they're talking about their, like, genetic sex. Yeah. Which can be really varied, but generally is X, Y, or XX. And then there's people who are doing it just to get a reaction yeah, from okay. their audience and from um, uh, and it's for clicks and views. And yeah. then there's, there's people who, yeah, like taking the information that it's a lot of transgender is, is dysphoria. It's something that can be diagnosed and, and treated, but taking that to an extent where they're saying, like, only people that are diagnosed can feel this way or, or need this in their lives or be this. Yeah. And also that indulging that can be harmful. Gotcha. There's like an argument I've seen where it's like, well, if you look at schizophrenia and other mental illnesses, you know, someone's hearing voices, you don't lean into the voices and stuff like that and encourage it. And so they 
I think, extrapolate that over to or use it as a justification. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Sometimes yeah. genuinely, but I think not as well, like deliberately for effect to being transgender and saying, well, if, why would we lean into yeah. affirming these Yeah this mental illness, which is how they're seeing and describing it. I think, like, in the end, it's about, like, what does the least harm to the individual? Yeah. And it's a competition between least harm to the individual and most happy and affirming for them, but also, like, noting that there is an impact on other people and society and things like that, even if it's just, like, fear or misunderstanding. Yeah. So I think it's something that it's just the next thing, I guess, for the machine to focus on and over time as as it's more understood and it's more common it'll be less I guess just interesting to audiences to yeah, yeah, yeah. take sides and to respond to that yeah. we'll move on to the next thing yeah. But yeah the next common enemy yeah yeah I think so yeah the next like hidden danger that's corrupting everyone like, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah it's so interesting because I think the reason I have this podcast and the reason I'm trying to lift mm. the veil on a bunch of different professions and experiences is mm. to get that conversation out there, to have it normal and go, what is it like to be you? How do we be more accepting? How do we learn more? And the only way to do that is to talk about it and be open to it and be curious about it without being nosy. Yeah, it's really good what you guys are doing. Um, but, it's yeah, great. just genuinely, I mean, the last episode was, an emergency call centre. Mm. I know nothing about what it's like to take an emergency phone call for somebody who's having a heart attack. The level of understanding and empathy that is required there is huge. Oh, yeah. And so it's inviting us most generously into your world so that we go, yeah, right, mm. that's cool. And we don't have to have conversations about how to because it's the professional empathy podcast, if we're like, what to do if someone in your organisation is transgender? It's like, uh, mm. just cool. Like, don't ask them questions about surgery. Don't ask them questions about bathrooms. Mm. Don't ask them questions about, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just trying to get that that bit mm. of insight. So one day it doesn't take bravery. One day it's just, yeah, cool. Yeah, like a, I guess like a lot of the fears have been addressed. Yeah. One day would be good. And then um seems a part of life and not something that's that has the potential to like destroy things that people really treasure. Yeah. I think is is how it's seen sometimes. Sort of like just homosexuality and yeah. vegans. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's, there's lots of things I think for people with big amygdalas to worry about. I think also it's so important to have these conversations and to lift this veil mm. because, like you said, when you were in the midst of it, when you were in the thick of it trying to figure out which way was up, yeah. you said that you were incredibly lucky to have support around you and to have that mm. space and the, the capacity and the resources to figure this out. Yeah. For people who don't have that level of understanding those people around them who then stay, mm. I don't know, is it in the closet? I don't know. Who live the life that they don't feel like that's mm. for them. Yeah. Because they don't feel like they've got acceptance around them. They don't feel like what are the implications there? Like that's 
scary to think about. And it's yeah, very it's, common. It's not a good space to live in. I think my tolerance for it was very low. So there would be maybe like a month when I'd realize something or a change I wanted to make or do where I'd be like, oh, like I'm not sure if I should. But just like having felt that I had that certainty yep. and that I was just faking it or trying to hide, I just couldn't yep. do it anymore. But I'm also a lot in my early 30s so and established in a lot of different ways. So um, uh, I think there would be contexts and things in which, which are like a lot of the controversial ones that I think we've heard about like um, – sport and where like the impact of decisions that are made in organizations and societally can have a massive impact on like everyone that's operating in that space yeah and I don't have the answers to any of them but it's very complex and it's like any time that there's big potential social change towards like being really accepting about gender and you know roles and like well they're not as concrete and meaningful and that brings up a lot of I mean, I was certainly inspired to explore more of my own perception of my gender by other transgender people. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of people would be feeling a lot of things yeah. about that and can lead to massive changes in people's lives, which aren't necessarily always for the better of everyone involved yeah. in all ways. Yeah. So it could be something that's, like, encountered and tackled earlier in life because it's more present and accepted and there's more kind of support for exploring that, then I think long-term, the can be quite significant short-term pain overall will balance out into a lot more happier relationships and people and less internal friction, which would make everything function a bit better. Yeah. Hopefully, at least like a little bit in this one area. (laughs) Yeah. It makes so much sense that the more more we know about things, the more mm. accepting we are, the less fear, the earlier we can have conversations, the more open people are and the more flexibility and space people have to explore who they are and yeah. what they are and where they fit and who they like, the more that's a non-issue. Yeah. I think it's been like now that I'm not, worrying about this all the time and like feeling so confused and in pain and numbing myself with alcohol and stuff I'm just more productive in general like yeah (laughs) I don't have to worry about it as much necessarily even though it wasn't a great time all the time yeah Um, so if you have advice for people who are sort of looking at you saying hmm. oh yeah I see myself or I see parts of your story that are resonating do you have advice for people I think yeah, just like try things and if it ends up leading down a path that you didn't expect or may not necessarily want. So I definitely had a lot of periods like that. I think in the end it's worth it to just feel like you're yourself and there's lots of different small ways that you can experiment with different aspects of your identity and overall realising and and making changes based on realizations about yourself will never solve all of your problems in all different areas or make things super rosy but I think it the more honest you ask yourself in the end the better things will be and I guess yeah try small low kind of things first yeah see how it you feels. stay you stage ones and you stage twos and yeah I, I, li- guess. I, li- I like that I like yeah. that and and, and um, making sure you've got your people finding who your people are and I think so, yeah. And, I mean, 
I haven't been in a situation, like, very luckily, but where there is, like, a significant other or, like, a parent or a sibling or a boss or something or something that's, like, no, don't do this. This is so weird. You're, like, a freak. Like, why would you even think this? Don't do it. Yeah. Like, I have no idea how I'd react to that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, but there would be, if that's sort of what's holding you back is a fear of that kind of, like, and, like it's it's not silver bullet or anything there are like articles and guides for everything that you can like look into even on like (laughs) incognito mode like going yeah what to do if your partner thinks you're like if you feel you're transgender and your partner's really hostile towards it i mean it's starting point yeah it's just weighing up whether your like personal sense of happiness and feeling aligned with yourself how that compares to having everything in your life, like, function in a certain way that's more expected. And yeah. different people make different choices, I think. Yeah. But I don't think that you can run from yourself forever, no matter how, like, stable and to all appearances secure and stuff your life may look. Yeah. Hannah, you speak quite openly about this on social media. If people would like to find you, if people would like to follow you and connect with you and learn more about you and the amazing fun work that you do. Oh, thank you. Where do they find you? It's Guildmaster Games on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I'm guildmastergames.com is the website and my own personal account, Sanaphorn Morgan. I'm a bit more personal with that. And I also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Hannaford Morgan. So, and it's sort of across all of those different channels, well, gradually. (laughs) talk about a lot of different things and present a lot of different things. So Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for today. I'll put all the links, all the places. I genuinely, genuinely want to say thank you for Mm. talking to me today. Thank Um, you for having me. It's been really nice. And I like the way that you're asking your questions. They're really good. Because, yeah, (laughs) I remember you were concerned about asking in the wrong way. But, yeah, just sort of straightforward and curious is really really good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, genuinely genuinely appreciative of your vulnerability and talking oh, about you. this and I don't want it to sound patronizing. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm so proud of you. Like from the person that I met to who I'm mm. seeing now, I'm so proud of you. I'm getting there. But yeah, thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening today to the Professional Empathy Podcast. What a fantastic discussion. Thank you, Hannah, for your time and your vulnerability and sharing your experience. Now, if you'd like to learn more about practicing healthy empathy without burning out, listen to our other episodes or take an empathy quiz, you'll find it all at empathyfirst.com.au. My name's Leanne Butterworth, and that is the Professional Empathy Podcast. <laughs>